0: Welcome to Negotiating Happiness, the show that helps you find happiness, success, and balance in your work and life. I'm Adriana Fierster, your host for this journey into entrepreneurship and personal growth. We're broadcasting live on 107.7 and 105.3 FM in New Orleans as part of the United Public Radio Network. We explore the latest strategies, insights, and stories from successful entrepreneurs and experts. From managing stress to building a thriving business, we've got you covered. Good afternoon everybody, this is Adriana Fierstro and you are watching Negotiating Happiness. Um, It is February 5th, uh, 2024, I can't believe it, Uh, and here we are on another Monday, so grab your coffee, grab your lunch, and let's dive in. Uh, We are indeed broadcasting live on the United Public Radio Network and UFO Paranormal Radio at 105.3 and 107.7 FM in New Orleans, and if you wanted to sit back and watch a couple of our shows from the network on Roku TV, go ahead and search up UFO Paranormal. So today, uh, we have a special episode planned, just like every week. um, We are going to be talking uh, to the lovely Jen Patterson from Dollar Divas, and we are talking about overcoming money shame, because it's such a big topic. Um, even though we don't talk about it, I am pretty sure everybody thinks about it um, at some point or another, especially in the sphere of entrepreneurship. So here's a quick summary of what will be Talking about, um, we'll we'll dive into the pervasive financial education gap that often leaves individuals feeling ashamed about their buddy struggles. Societal expectations assume that everybody should naturally be adept with finances, creating a sense of embarrassment when faced with financial challenges. We'll explore how the absence of formal teachings on personal and business finances in school perpetuates this shame, reinforcing the misconception that financial competence is intuitive. Join us as we discuss the importance of open conversations, accessible resources, and community uh, support to break the stigma and empower individuals to confidently navigate their financial journeys. And so let's do a a quick reintroduction of who Jen is. I don't know if anybody remembers, but Jen was on our show probably about six or seven or eight weeks ago, Um, so I can't wait to have her come back on. And um, let's dive in. So who is Jen? Jen is a financial professional with a unique background. uh, Raised in a household where money was openly discussed, she initially navigated the world of business as the right hand to a dance studio owner. Later, as a financial planner, Jen observed a common struggle amongst passionate entrepreneurs while excelling in their crafts, they faced financial instability. Now Jen is on a mission to help entrepreneurs stabilize their cash flow, allowing them to focus on their passion without sacrificing business growth. So I can't wait to have her on. She's going to pop up in a minute here. Just going to check in and then we're going to dive into a couple of stats here that I've gathered. I don't know. Um, if you guys are a fan of stats, but I definitely am. So here we go. Jen is in the waiting room. We're just going to pop her in. Hello, Jen. How are you? Hello.
1: I'm good. How are you? I'm
0: good. Thank you. Thanks so much for popping on. Yeah. Sorry. I'm, I'm a little
1: distracted. So I have to, I have to give a little bit of a, I'm, I'm momming and entrepreneuring at the same time. So I'm trying to get tickets for my daughter for, Frozen the touring um, (laughs) Show that's coming To our city in July and tickets Literally went on sale at 10 o'clock Pacific time which is right when this show Airs so Adriana has been so kind to being Like okay just let me know when you're ready (laughs) And so I'm just looking at the confirmation And it's all good I have mom I am now ready to entrepreneur (laughs) Amazing
0: isn't that funny how just We don't have a choice around the whole Momming thing oh my gosh
1: It's just yeah who else Was gonna get those tickets do you know what I mean no, nobody else was gonna get those, and it's just yeah, it's it's that's how this goes, you know, m- motherhood, right? Yes. So tell me, how did you how
0: how did you start off your Monday aside from ticket hunting?
1: Oh, uh, it was a pretty standard Monday for us. You know, I've got uh, got up, got my kids to school, you know, answered a few emails. Um, I managed to squeeze a workout in this morning, so that was really nice. It was a great way to kind of kick off the week, and you know, feeling like I'm on top of things and not starting the week behind. So I I always really appreciate when things on Monday morning go smoothly, when they go a little sideways, then I find myself getting a little squirrely.
0: Right, exactly. I mean, who doesn't get a little squirrely when that happens? But that's good. That's good. I'm glad. So um, I can't wait to talk to you about uh, overcoming money shame, because I feel like it's such a an important topic to talk about. And a lot of entrepreneurs, like even in close circles, I still feel a little bit icky talking about money. So I need you to tell me in your professional opinion, how does that usually go? Like how, what do you feel like it happens when these conversations pop up?
1: Uh, You know, it honestly, it depends on the situation. Like, I'm definitely not going to go to a cocktail party where I'm just meeting people for the first time and be like, you know, hey, what is your salary? Um, You know, I'm not quite that awkward and weird. But at the same time, you know, I think that it's really important for these conversations to happen, you know, because it just, it lifts us all. Right. It lifts us all to talk about these things and make everybody else, you know, comfortable with it in a way that, you know, again, lifts us all up. So what I'm, I'm kind of talking around here. So I'll give you an example, because I think that's the best way to discuss this. Um, I was having drinks with a couple of girlfriends about a week ago. And in within the sort of grouping, it was two entrepreneurs and uh, a salaried worker type. And we got to talking about the the one other entrepreneur's pricing. You know, she is a solopreneur. She runs her own business. And she, you know, was saying, oh, I think I might need to raise my rates. And, you know, because gas prices are going up because she, she moves around a lot in her business. And, you know, I said, well, when was the last time you raised your rates? And she said, well, you know, it was right when the gas prices kind of took off. And most of it's pretty, f- I didn't really pocket any of it because it all went to gas and you know and and I'm really nervous and I said well why are you nervous do you think that anyone's gonna you know come back at you and and complain and you know and we had this conversation of of her being really afraid to raise her rates and I said well what are your competitors charging and she said oh well they're charging almost double or you know and things like this and I said well that's insane like if your competitors who I'm I don't know them, but I know you and I know you're amazing at what you do. If they're charging, you know, more than you and you're stressing about raising your rates, like this is a, a, a problem that we need to put our heads together and we need to help you overcome this. Like me as your friend, you know, this other person as your friend, like let's talk about this. Let's help you through it. And so in having that conversation, you know, I don't know if she actually went through with, raising her rates but I'm definitely gonna follow up with her and be like you know let's talk about that some more because you deserve to earn what you're worth and and so there's definitely a time and a place but these conversations are important because all keeping it close to the vest does is hold you back from earning what you truly can and you know you get up a group of dudes together And they'll talk about money all day long without shame, without, you know, like they they are quite happy to share their salaries, you know, what their bonus was or like, Hey bro, I, you know, I just got this huge bonus. Like I'm going to go and buy a boat. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Like these are (laughs) conversations that they're more than happy to have. And, and so we, we see it in, in, you know, the glass ceiling and the wage gap and all of this stuff. And so, you know, we're shamed into talk, you know, around talking about money. It's, it's uncouth. It's rude. It's, you know, all of these things is gauche. I think I even, I think I even heard someone say, Oh, it's gauche. I was Mm -hmm. like, that's, that's interesting. (laughs) But when you bring it out into the open, like we're willing to talk about everything from like what we do in the bathroom to what we do in the bedroom, but somehow our bank accounts are off limits. Like it's just bizarre.
0: I also wanted to add that as a service provider, um, It actually, not only does it hold you back personally when you don't charge what you're supposed to be charging, um, there's a perceived um, lessening of value. So if you're going to a service provider that is like a quarter of what everybody else is charging, um, people automatically think you you must not be good at what you do. So... Um, people tend to shy away from that too. And, and, and sometimes service providers don't think about that, but it's 100% true. It puts doubts in your client's mind that you know what you're doing because how could you possibly be charging so much less than everybody else, right? So exactly, it's damaging on a lot of fronts. Let's just put it that way. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so it's... It, it starts, but it starts so, Um, it starts before we... Dive into this entrepreneurship th- entrepreneurship thing, right? So I I tried to look up some stats, and I want to know if you agree with any of these. So I tried to look up some American stats for our, our American friends and for our Canadian friends as well. So, um, we I was I was looking up, and it says seventy one percent of Americans believe that they have financial literacy high financial literacy levels. The average American rates their financial literacy at 6.2 out of 10 despite the fact that on tests the average American only answers 35 to 55 percent of questions correctly and to dive in deep even further which hurts my millennial heart only 16 percent of millennials understand basic financial principles like if this doesn't say it all I don't know what does yes right
1: Yes. Right and, and I, Canadians
0: yeah. we don't want to we don't want hold on we don't want to like only highlight the American side of things but so overall it's it's hard because you can't get the same kind of stats for both places but overall um just bear with me. This is, has a point. It says South Korea leads the pack as the most educated country in the world with a tertiary education rate of 69.29%, securing the top spot. Canada follows closely behind at 66.36%, earning the second position for most educated countries. However, when you get down to finance financial <laughs> literacy rate, Only 15% consider themselves financially literate when it comes to life insurance, investments, and stocks. According to the poll, while 60% admit to having a personal or monthly budget, only 29% have taken an education course about finance or personal budget management. So, of course, it's relative. Of course, you might know more than what you think you are, so maybe that 15% is higher or maybe it's lower. Who knows? The whole point of it is... Obviously, we have the resources. Obviously, we're educating in a lot of different subjects. But when it comes to financial literacy specifically, what happened?
1: What happened? Because our formal education system assumes that the family, Because I think it stems back to, you know, finances are a personal subject and everybody does it a little bit differently and, you know, all of that stuff. I think that it stems back to the education system, you know, is like, well, we don't want to put our centralized beliefs, quote unquote, on the people. And so you can teach that stuff at home. But what happens is they don't actually teach it at home. You know, parents have financial conversations behind closed doors or after kids are asleep because they don't want to, you know, maybe on the sort of more... Sort of good parenting side of things. I don't say good parenting, but like the people who are trying really hard to be that parent is they don't want to put the stress on the kids. They don't want their kids to see them feeling stressed out or having to, you know, make those decisions. But that means the kids aren't exposed to it, so it makes it really hard. And so the kids aren't exposed to it. Then they grow up and become adults, and you know, get essentially handed the keys to the car without any driving lessons. And right. they go out, you know, get your credit cards, they get jobs, bank accounts, you know, maybe even a mortgage, loans, and they don't know how to handle it. They don't know how to navigate this world because maybe with the best of intentions, parents are having these conversations behind closed doors to not pass on the stress, but it also means the knowledge isn't being passed down either. And also, you know, the financial our financial world has just gotten more and more and more and more complicated as time has progressed you know you think back you know two three generations ago essentially it was you had a little bit of money but most people were you know farmers that their job was to make the food grow the food and essentially survive you had a little bit of money maybe for like you know the odds and ends that you would buy like once or twice a month or even less whereas now you know money is central to our very existence a day doesn't go by without money passing hands in order for our society to continue to function. And so it's really, it's a very difficult situation because what we're facing isn't necessarily what our parents were facing. It's a lot harder. It's a lot different. You know, I talked to my mom about this quite frequently, how parenting today and even just existing today is so much different than when she was in our shoes, you know, 30 some odd years ago. And and so that's a a disconnect as well, because they don't have the knowledge to pass on. So Mm -hmm. they feel like, well, this is how we did it, but that's not going to work for you guys because it's such an environment. So it's almost coming from both sides like we're we're just kind of (laughs) screwed. Right. Right. So. Well, it kind of shows that
0: too because I I looked up a a few more stats because that was kind of general for the population, which kind of gives me an indication of what kind of financial literacy I need to explore with my kid, right? But let me look at what the um, entrepreneur... Let's see. So this is for... um, American stats. So according to a survey by the National Endowment for Financial Education, which is the NEFE, in 2018, only 27% of entrepreneurs felt very confident in their ability to manage their business finances. That is such a low number. And for the fact that these on some of these entrepreneurs are so like wildly successful and not knowing how to handle that is detrimental to the future success of that business, right? And there's another study conducted, uh, by Intuit, which I think it's the QuickBooks, um, parent company in 2019 found that 61% of small business owners struggled with financial management, including tasks like creating financial forecasts, budgeting. I am one of those people. Like I, (laughs) I have the tools, I use them. Um, I don't enjoy doing them. Therefore I put no further effort into educating myself on how to do it better, right? That's the problem. That's the yeah. problem because you yeah. had to basically learn everything on the fly. So yeah,
1: yeah and you're not alone. and like I remember talking to um somebody who was a, a massage therapist and she said, you know like we go to school for years to learn all the different techniques and strategies yeah. to apply our practice and our apply our trade and and you know heal people's bodies and she said, the money management part was literally one workshop one day for two hours. Like, that was it. And that yeah. was all the financial education she got. And she said most, like, massage therapists are solopreneurs, uh, contractors. Like, they're in charge of their finances. And yet, their education on how to navigate that was a two-hour workshop. Yeah. Like, yeah. again, disconnect. So, you know, again, another one was talking to a lawyer. She said, I went to school for... I don't know how long law school is, 3 years ish. Like that's a long haul. Mm-hmm. And again, they yeah. learn how to write a brief, they learn how to argue a case, yeah. they learn how to talk to clients. She said I hadn't a clue how to run a business. Like right. Not so a we did clue. Have she said, I had to for... figure that out by the fl- on the fly too.
0: Yeah, if as uh, in contrast to the uh I guess um education for lawyers and yeah, they have to do a um a bachelor's, right? They have to do their four years in school for a bachelor's and then they go to law school. So that's actually a lot, a lot of school that you go through where you don't have any of that exposure. So much cooler. For paralegals, the program that I went to, you had to have a degree ahead, but you actually don't need to if you want to do the two-year um, certificate. So regardless, everybody in my class already had previous same thing, you know, three, four years of post-secondary school. Then you're in here getting your... Um, you know accelerated post-grad certificate to become a paralegal we did have a course where we learned how to how to run our business but it was a seven-week course where it was kind of implied that you already understood what expenses were and what and how you you know you came into contact with assets. Like it was funny. It, it, on paper, it made sense, but that was basically it. And it's yeah. crazy that with lawyers that actually end up running the firms that goes work for, if you're not going to go off on your own, don't have even that because everybody else assumes that, well, we're teaching you about what your uh, regulatory responsibilities are. So, for example, because we we're regulated by the Law Society. We were taught what our responsibility, financial responsibilities, were in terms of the law, society rules. But nobody's talking about how do you split this profit? How do you take it home? How do you, how do you save it? How do you invest it? How do you make sure that it's working for you? Nobody. It's just a question of money in, money out. Do you understand? Okay, great. Because it's especially in law in Ontario, it's a double accounting system, right? You've got your trust and your, uh, general. Right. To, to keep track yeah. of. But again, it's just money in, money out. It's nothing crazy. So mm-hmm. you, you think that, you know, and you think you're going to go out there and be like, yeah, of course, I already took a course. I know. But nobody actually addresses the whole. OK, so this is what you're left with. What are you going to
1: do? Yeah, what are you absolutely. Do? And, you know, I'll, I'll even go as far as like when I was doing my licensing to become a financial advisor, financial yeah. advisor. Like we learned, I learned about insurance and how that world works. I learned about how, you know, the investment world works, like, you know, all of that stuff. But the day-to-day running of cash flow never came up. Not once. And, you know, a lot of financial advisors will get good at it because they are already within that, like, you know, mindset and that that's their interest and they love it. But, again, still know, like, formal how to do this. And that's for someone who's literally going to be advising people with their money. Yeah. Like, that. it's bananas. So, you know, and I'm then... I'm not like, shocked. I'm not shocked at all. Put that aside. And, you know, this is also assuming that everyone does post-secondary, which they yeah. don't. That's, you know, I would say even in the, again, in the climate that we're sort of in, post-secondary is becoming less and less valuable. And a lot of the, like, Gen Zs, they're... Bypassing it altogether and just heading out into the workforce and and figuring it out on their own because, you know, we're realizing that a BA in English is not going to get you very far these days. So, right. you know, that's assuming that. And I think back to my high school days, and I remember we we did have a a class we'll call it. It was called CAP Career and Personal Planning, and mm-hmm. in the five years of my high school, we had this once a week for an hour for an entire five years of my high school. And we talked about finances one time, and it was um they showed us a tax form, what it looked like and that was about it. And it was like this is <laughs> this is a, t- a a T I think it was a t1 that they showed us. It was a t1 or a t5 and they're like, that's what this is Great. That, that was it that was our that was our education yeah. on taxes and it was like talk to your parents that was it yeah. and
0: And funny enough, I actually, when I first started out, I decided that I didn't know enough about taxes, which is still correct. And because you reminded me of the whole T1, T5 thing. So the CRA sometimes has webinars that they run um, for entrepreneurs for taxes, which is great. I mean, look them up. But I have to tell you, no offense to anybody there, but I came out of that knowing even less than what I knew before. (laughs) And not because they weren't teaching it, it's because it was the most excruciating thing I've ever had to sit through, where it's like doing math. So instead of, instead of explaining concepts and how to structure your business around those concepts so that people can understand how to apply it day to day, it was kind of like going through a form. And I'm like, nobody needs to know that because most of us will get our accountant to do it. What we don't understand is how how those equations actually affect us day to day before yeah. we file those taxes, right? So I feel like there was such a disconnect between, you know... Um, saying that they're providing education and they are on paper they are providing that education and making it available to the public but as somebody who's taking that and I'm not I'm I'm good at math I'm okay at math I can do lots of quick math in my head I can I can do more complex math if I have some time sure I understand how to do that I understand money in money out and that webinar was probably a three hour like I don't even know if it was three hours or if it felt like three hours but it was wild I was like, I should not have taken this because it was definitely, there's no, there's no translation between what was being said and what we were, and I don't think I was the only one. I'm pretty sure most of the people there, um, had like turned off their cameras by like halfway through it to be like, I can't deal with this. So I don't know if they were listening in the background or not, but it was brutal, absolutely brutal. And who knows, maybe it's just me, but I'd like to think that I have some average understanding of what's being said and, you know, like because of my previous life, I have an average understanding of uh, structures. Are you a you know, general partnership? Are you a sole proprietor? Are you a corporation? So I should have understood a little bit more about taxing and how to, <laughs> to make it work for me. And I didn't. I really didn't. So I think this is not just like a, a school problem or a home problem, I think this is like an entire society problem. Whichever institution you go to, whichever regulatory body you belong to, I don't think there's enough financial education.
1: No, no, there's absolutely not. And, you know, I think even just the basics of being able to read a con- a financial contract, you know, people mm-hmm. don't understand how to read a financial contract. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I worked in credit counseling for a number of years before I was a financial advisor. And a lot of times clients would come to us and they'd say, well, this is interest free. And you'd say, well, actually, that's not how this works. (laughs) You know, you you look at a, you know, like those credit cards with the interest free periods. And what people don't understand is that if you pay the balance off within that interest free period, yes, you don't pay it. And you walk away and everybody's happy and whatever. If you go one day over that interest free period, all of the interest that has been accumulating in the background for that interest rate period, be it a year, 18 months, six months, whatever, that all gets lumped on on day, like, you know, 91 or whatever it is. Like it all gets, it's an entire, you know, chunk. It's not just, it starts accumulating then it's been accumulating since you got the loan, the credit card, the whatever, and it all just gets lumped on on that day. And so, you know, Little things like that and how to read that language, you know, the general public I have found don't necessarily grasp those things or know how to read them within a contract before they sign it.
0: Right. And it's wild now thinking back that I was 18 and um, maybe I won't name the bank, but I think they're all the same. Honestly, they decided that so back in 2007, they decided that an 18 year old with a part time job in retail, was allowed to have a $2,500 credit card. Oh, my. Who decided that? Like, who thought that that was a good idea? And I'll tell you who banks, because I probably paid that credit card, like, six times over. Do you Mm -hmm. know what I mean? That's how much interest they probably, like, made off of me. Because I had zero knowledge. But I could walk into that bank, and I walked in that bank that day, and I applied for a credit card, $2,500 limit.
1: They saw you coming a mile away, and you know who thought it was a good idea? The entire institution. Do you know why? Yes. It's because that is how they make money. That is that's, how, that's it, I, you know, yeah. The there's a saying in the financial advising world is you don't invest with banks, you invest in banks.
0: A hundred percent. That's right? what I'm saying. I probably paid it six times over in interest
1: alone. Yeah. So, yeah. so they, they thought they it was a fantastic that. idea because yeah. they just saw dollar signs. They just yes. saw a big, fat profit. Um, and that's the case. And, you know, especially again with credit cards, another misunderstood financial instrument, because a lot of people will think like, as, as they're making payments, the interest is going down, but it's not the case. The interest doesn't stop accumulating on every purchase you've ever made until you pay it down to zero. That's when the interest stops. So if you bought a TV and paid off $500, you know, of the balance, you're still getting charged for the, you know, full balance of that TV until you pay it to zero. Like, And again, it's a cash cow for the companies like they are just raking in the dollars on our misunderstanding of financial instruments.
0: Of course. And it's like I've seen people do this over and over and how they pay one credit card off with another. Or how they pay one credit card off with like a loan, maybe a line of credit, which I understand the logic. Usually lines of credit are like lower interest. However, you're literally paying interest on interest on interest. And that is how they get rich is interest on interest. So instead, in the last couple of years, I've tried to kind of think outside the box. Not that I've done anything with it. (laughs) It's just me slowly beginning how do I make compound interest? Because that is how people get rich. People don't get rich by saving. I'm sorry to anybody who's a great saver. I am not. That You don't get rich by that. You get rich by putting your money to work. So mm-hmm. once you get to the point where you have a bunch of interest that you've gained, putting that free money to work is compound compounded interest that is how you really start making money from no money until then it's all like an initial investment and the time investment and the education and the whatnot so how how do we get over this like how do we um how do we teach each other how do we
1: warn each other what mistakes not to make you know Well, this is where it comes back to that, like conversations, why conversations are so important and so critical, especially with, you know, within groups of women, you know, find, find your people, like find those people who are, see the world the way you see it, who are supportive and kind. And then just start talking about it and be like, you know what, hey, does anyone here like invest? Like, what do you invest in? Because that's a really, that's a, that's a tiptoe. Into it because investments are seen as oh it's good it's exciting it's it's kind of sexy like that's <laughs> something that right like it is because if yeah you no it is it is yeah then it, it's not like oh you know what how much is in your bank account right like that's that's a little bit like walking up to somebody and like grabbing their butt but you know asking them over coffee or cocktails I mean, or whatever yeah. like you know what are your investments or like what are you guys investing in or do you invest at all like that's a that's a kind of a tiptoe. And then you can kind of read the room and gauge whether or not the person you're talking to is open to a conversation oh. about money. Are they yeah. are they telling you, oh, yeah, I bought this stock and, you know, this ETF and this is my favorite thing. And, you know, are they like that or are they kind of like, uh, you know, looking at the floor and then changing the subject? And you can kind of read the room with those conversations. And then once that yeah. starts to happen, then you can really You know open up and be that person that opens up first be the person that says hey this is my situation like what would you guys do if you were me um and you know don't be afraid to put yourself out there i mean it's vulnerable it's scary to be that first person that opens up but i'm i'm telling you from someone who's been there and done it and had those conversations and has that relationship with other friends and entrepreneurs and and peers it's magical It's so, like, I I use that word not lightly, like, it, it really is, because, like, I feel like I've got a couple of girlfriends that I can literally call up and be like, hey, I've got this, like, I'm not sure what to do with this, you know, particular situation when it comes to, like, my business, or, you know, I've got this other investment, I'm not sure whether or not I should take a plunge on it, what do you think? And we can talk it out and hash it out and figure it out, because I know, I know what, they think about finances and money and investments and I, I understand their perspective and I value that and I value their input because I know they've been there. They've walked down this path as well right. and they've got a lot of wisdom to share.
0: Right. What what do you think of this? Um, I don't know if you have a similar experience, but every time I would hear somebody talk about investments, it's always the, you know, the rich dude that has investments. It was never the mom that, you know, works like a side job. It was never, you know, the university student or the newly graduated student that decided to invest whatever he has or she has. Like how, I, I just I just want to, like my opinion is like I, I want to bust right through that myth to be like it doesn't have to be the rich dude that, that has mm-hmm. the investments. Like you can start off with literally... Like a hundred dollars. There are stocks out there less that you that. can buy for a hundred dollars or less than that. That's I know. That. Yeah, yeah, I know. It's 25. just, I'm, I'm
1: trying to think. Yeah. 25. $25 I'm, is what you need to get in. That, that's right. generally the the low bar mark. Um, there's actually, right. there's actually ways to invest with even less, um, but they're a little complicated, but usually $25 is your buy-in. That's it. Right. And it's like, that's not like
0: 10, 10 Canadian dollars a transaction. So once you purchase something, right, like they take ten Canadian dollars from that. So there are fees for it, but the grand. Kind of and it depends $10 on. this is nothing.
1: It depends on um, like which avenues and and how and how you invest in what things. But again, yeah. like these these are conversation. Like I don't know how many times. So when I used to run Dollar Divas, you know back in the day, we would have live events and we would have like basically coffee shops where we'd get together and we just talk about money. And the number of times I was asked, what do I buy? How do I buy RSPs?" As if it's like Mm -hmm. a purse or a shoe. And I'm like, okay, so, you know, let's talk about this because whether you're in the States or in Canada or whatever, usually, you know, these things are not something you go and buy. So an RSP or I can't remember the, um, an IRA. I think there are IRAs in the States um oh, Roth they're just a, yeah. Roth yeah. IRAs I, I think that's there's another one too I can't quite remember but anyway is it like a the retirement accounts mm, no because 401ks are no. generally sponsored by companies oh. like they're they're within like an employment thing I can't yeah, quite remember anyway it's Canadian irrelevant listen- <laughs> I mean American Canadian listeners we're talking RSPs <laughs> I know but help uh, us out American, American listeners, listeners. <laughs> Yeah, I know Roth IRA is one of them. And I know there's another one, but it's slipping my mind right now. Anyway, they are, they're umbrellas. They're, there's something that you just put money under and you can have different accounts. And it's not something you buy like a shoe or a purse or a coffee mug. It's a classification of investment. So once it's under the RSP umbrella or the IRA umbrella, then you can move it around to different things. You can't, you don't tie it into one investment just because you you know, bought let's say, you know, some Tesla stock in RSP right. doesn't mean you can't sell that Tesla stock and buy Apple. You can do that and keep it under the RSP umbrella. Mm-hmm. And you can invest in hundreds of different things within yeah. the RSP limits. Like if you just look up on your government website, you'll find like what qualifies as an RSP investment. As long as it's under the umbrella, you're good to go. And right. so that's a, another misconception is they think they have to go to the bank and buy an RRSP. And it's like, that's, that's not what I did.
0: That's what I did. I went to the bank and I think they're, I think mine are called mutual funds. So the bank invests yes, them probably on my are. behalf. Yeah, like yeah. The, the bank invests them on my behalf. Um, it is embarrassing how little I've contributed, uh, but <laughs> that's what I always thought. So
1: that's what I did, right? Yeah. And and that's another one is is mutual funds and ETFs and stocks and bonds and how little education there is on how those different instruments work and what are the pros and cons on both sides. And a lot of times with mutual funds, um, quite often the fees on them are like sky high and people don't know how to read those reports and those statements and those you know you get the big book that comes with it um the prospectus they have no clue how to read that and they're so overwhelmed and intimidated by it that it usually just ends up in a pile uh or in the recycling bin you know like they don't even get cracked because it's just too much it's it's scary it's overwhelming and they're like i can't deal with this so you know like Even how to read those things is so important because, you know, one mutual fund is not the same as every other mutual fund. They all have their pros and their cons and, you know, what works and what doesn't. And, you know, what's the difference between a mutual fund and a segregated fund and an ETF, like all of those things, it's really important information, you know, and that's something that very few people feel like they can talk about or grasp. And, you know, sometimes mutual funds will have a high, Um, fee structure, but they'll have a phenomenal manager that makes it worth it, whereas some may not. And, you know, how do you know and who, who do you talk to? And again, that's why these conversations are so important.
0: Yeah, I, I think I I think I stuck some money in uh, mutual funds and then I think I selected medium risk and as a result it's probably grown like fifteen dollars in like six years so <laughs> not great um, but as a professional if you're working with a lot of solopreneurs or people that work by themselves what would you say is the most important like obviously what let's say assume that everybody's got their cash flow in in check okay assume that that's in check assume that everything is getting paid what is the most that's important investment assumption. <laughs> i know but i'm just assume <laughs> so that this question right. works for me okay so all right, all right. so that you have that's you done. have
1: <laughs> you have some ulterior <laughs> motives here. I get it. Okay. Yes. So cash flow is in check. Everything's functioning great. Right. Like, where do you go next? And how do you how do you yeah. make the most of your dollars? And, and that's yes. the question on everyone's mind, right? So yeah. I'm a big believer in ETFs. I love ETFs. I think they're a fantastic instrument. Um, they don't try and beat the markets. I, I'm a believer that if you try and beat the markets, they'll kick you when you're down. And then when you're down even further, they'll kick you again. So trying to beat the market is... Can be done, but it's very difficult. Whereas something like an ETF, it follows the market. So give if us an example have, of what an
0: ETF is, though, because I feel so like it's an not exchange, everybody would it's know. It's called
1: an exchange-traded fund. So what it, how it works is they take some sort of basic, um, either index or group of funds that's already established. So some of them will follow like the S and P five hundred. Some of them will follow. um There's another one. I'm sorry, it escapes my mind again. This is stuff I don't really deal with on a day to day basis, but like they will pick an index and they'll just follow it. And the way that I look at things personally is if the market as a whole has too much downturn, we have bigger problems because that means our economy is not functioning. So while you will have the ebbs and flows of the markets, of the economy, you know, especially when we're in you know recessions and things like that. Yes, you won't always be in the uptick however over time particularly for people in our generation who are you know their 20s 30s 40s we've got time before we're looking at retirement hopefully or maybe not maybe you are early retirement types in that case congrats but for the most of the people I'm talking yeah. to you know you've got some time and so you can weather those those storms that ebb and flow and investing in the markets will give you over time better returns than trying to beat the market with an actively managed fund so it's considered a passively managed fund meaning they just pick an index and they're like we're just going to follow this. And whatever this does then that's what we're going to do. Whereas an actively managed fund is somebody trying to pick and choose the winners of, you know, who's going to do best and who's who's when to trade that and that can be successful but it's very difficult. And there are a couple of really great fund managers out there that do it well and there's a lot that don't. Right. <laughs> So and then the other thing you have to take into consideration is the fees. So with an actively managed fund, they have much higher fees because you have that guy sitting in a room picking and choosing and trying to beat the markets. Whereas with a passively managed fund, the fees are considerably lower. ETFs have like much, much lower fees. So you're not trying to not only beat the markets, but also beat out those fees in terms Mm -hmm. of your returns. So that's where my money personally is. That's where my husband and I have invested and done quite well um, over the last I think we moved things over about five years ago uh, into ETFs. They are a relatively new kind of guy to the party, but uh, I, I'm a big believer in them. And I think that they're a great way to do go about it. Um, and, you know, you can usually go, uh, financial advisors will offer them, but also the the DIYs offer them as well. So we're personally with Questrade. I love it. I think it's a great platform. There's also Wealthsimple. Um, I know there's a whole bunch down in the States, I think.
0: There's a ton. I had it in my There's head. I ton. can't remember. I feel like our American friends have so many
1: more financial platforms that
0: we do, right? So, they sure do. Although
1: yeah. they don't have and any transfers any... which always makes me... No, but
0: head. they have How... Venmo and Cash App and like all these other things that we don't have, right? So it, That's makes, it kind of makes sense. yeah. Um, what do you think about... Um, you know, using life insurance for the purpose it's actually intended for? Because a lot of people have this idea that life insurance is strictly for when you die. And that's most definitely a benefit of it. However, mm-hmm. that's not what it's intended for. What What are your opinions on that?
1: Yeah, life insurance is a really versatile product if used correctly.
0: Right. Um,
1: so again, the misconception is you go, you buy like what's called the term policy, meaning like, you know, it's pretty low frills. If somebody keels within the policy time frame, then, you know, you get this chunk of change. Otherwise, if they die, if they live beyond the term of the policy, then it's like, oh, well, you're out of luck, tough, tough luck, you know, see you later. Um, and those have their yes. place. Absolutely. You know, I think term policies are great for young parents who, you know, if a parent dies, they need a huge cash payout. They don't have a lot of money. Um, they're They're fantastic. And like both my husband and I have term policies on each other because of the nature of our lives. But there's also other life insurance that is very, very powerful, can be very, very useful. And the younger you get it, the more powerful it's going to be. So uh, it's called whole life insurance. Um, And again, I wanna say this is all just general information. (laughs) Of course, of course. i of course. <laughs> just going to put isn't... that out there so nobody sues me. Uh, yeah. This is all very no, no. just information. Is... Talk to your financial advisor. You all advisor. need to,
0: yes, you all need to uh, pick up the phone and go talk to your own uh, providers and your yes. own financial people. the The purpose of this episode is to get people talking about money, and that's exactly what Jen and I are doing. So this is almost like a private conversation that you get to listen in on.
1: All right. Okay. So just with that little disclaimer out of the way. Um, so whole life insurance is a really, really powerful tool that I think is underutilized in the financial community and with a lot of uh, people, particularly again in our generation, because it's, it's something that you can put money aside in, it builds cash value, and it never expires. So if I live to 130, my whole life policy is going to tick along with me. And it's only Growing in value. So, when I first got my life, my whole life insurance policy, I think it was worth like $75,000 and there was no cash value. And on that day one, and whatever. And I've had it for about 10 years now. uh Gosh, maybe longer. <laughs> I'm trying to remember when I actually got that thing. But it's now worth about a half a million dollars and it's got about $50,000 in cash value. So, like, That will just build over time and the cash value will continue to build over time. And the cash value, like I can use that um, to loan myself money so I can pull the cash value out of it without surrendering the policy as policy loan. So I know that there was one advisor that um, I worked with who would literally use their whole life insurance policy as their own personal bank. And he said, I took money out of it. I borrowed money out of it to buy my wife's engagement ring. He said, then, you know, slowly paid that back. I bought, took money out of it to buy a car at one point. I took money out of it for the down payment on my house. Like he you literally used his own policy as his own personal bank account, his own personal loan vehicle so that he didn't have to go and borrow outside and pay those interest rates and things like that. So, you know, those are the things that you can kind of do with a whole life policy, as well as, you know, generational wealth transfer and things like that. So, you know, I know that when I kick it someday, that my kids, my husband, somebody in my line of lineage is going to get a big fat payout. And that's the amount of it is just going to grow over time. And if I desperately need cash, for whatever reason, I've also got this backup this safety net this foundation ready and waiting for me I can use it in retirement um there's so many different things you can do with it and I would highly recommend chatting with your advisor and I think Adriana got disconnected I'm just going to quickly chat with her and let's see what else (laughs) I'm literally into my thought and she disappears um And then the other thing that you can look at is like universal life insurance. It can also be a really powerful tool. I know a little bit less about that because I've been out of the life insurance game for a number of years now and it's, it's a little bit rusty. I haven't used the knowledge in quite a while, but it also can be a very, very powerful tool that you can look at. The other thing is as a business owner, life insurance, can fund things like buy-sell agreements so that if you work with a partner and one partner dies, then the partner's spouse isn't left holding the buck trying to run a business that they know nothing about. And they can buy out the, uh, you know, or the partner can buy out the spouse so that, you know, they're still left with an asset, but also aren't stuck trying to run this business that they know nothing about so those can be really really powerful tools and you know talk to an advisor about those kinds of options if you are in a partnership and your business is thriving like that can be a really really powerful tool and a really great foundational tool to make sure that everything stays the way that you want it to within your business Um, and um, yeah so you know life insurance has a bad rap um, I think because of the way that it's sold and the way that it's uh, marketed. Um, life insurance is marketed t- by advisors who are all on commissions, <laughs> which I think is massively backward. Um, but it is a really, really powerful, powerful tool. And it can be very useful in a financial structure as you know, looking at it on a holistic way and using it to fund your retirement or many other things within your life so, so important. Um, and I'm just going to check in with Adriana and see if she is going to be able to jump back in here. Let's see here. Don't see any messages from her. Let's try over here. Let's see If she messaged me on Instagram. So she says she's going to have to restart it. This is what happens with live stuff, right? Things get a little bit crazy and a little bit um, regular. Hi. Oh, there she's. Gone. Hello. Everything definitely
0: just went down, so that's like a typical Monday. Well, I I, I,
1: I rambled on for a little bit longer <laughs> about life insurance. I talked about some universal life stuff, uh which I have it's so funny. I was literally end of end of my thought and you vanished and I was like, "Uh-oh." <laughs> I guess I better keep talking. Um and so yeah, we we sort of you know, made it work <laughs> ish. <laughs> Uh, there's never never a glitch-free sure think, day, think right?
0: I... Yeah. No, I think it's, I feel like it's my laptop. It's not even my internet, but thank you for that. Um, yeah, I mean, I was just going to say, um, I took up a, a policy uh, for myself when he was born. And when I brought this up to a number of people in my life they thought it was pretty morbid and I literally was like no you don't understand It's not because I think that something's gonna happen that's just like a very small benefit of it if god forbid right but I'm like what if Mm -hmm. when he turns 18 he wants a car and I just don't have the cash flow or whatever he can definitely dip into it get himself a car pay it off with no interest and depending I guess depending on the policy too some of the I think ours like ends when we hit a hundred, but I mean, listen, if I'm hitting a hundred, great. <laughs> if I live past that, I'm good too. <laughs> but Hopefully, I don't that's need the idea, right? Go past that. Uh, whereas with term insurance, um, yes, I with term insurance the premiums don't stay the same too. So once your term is up, right, you know, if you're before sixty-five, it is like exponentially higher in. And, and it depends on the contract, the too. Like, they're all a
1: little bit different. Some so of them are like 10-year terms. Some of them are I'm 20-year not year even terms. getting...
0: Yeah. 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 For something that I'm not even getting interest in. And I remember when yeah. I talked to my insurance broker that um, we went over things like, what is the average growth rate for for this, right? In, in any case, it was better than a savings account. I think it ended up being something like 7% a year or something like that, right? Like, that's a pretty big... You know chunk of interest especially if you're investing a lot of money but I wanted to say that this is what rich people do rich people dump a bunch of money in life insurance policies and then they create their own bank just like you said your friend would literally keep borrowing and paying it back but I think that at some point I don't think there's a term of paying it back so if something happens they just take it out of your death benefit right if you don't end up paying back the money right because it's still your money. Yeah. And That's I mean, the there's always point. like the
1: fine print and you have to read it closely. Yeah. Um, but for the most part, yeah. I mean, if if I say I took out, you know, 20 grand out of my life insurance policy and used it to whatever, um, go on a really spectacular holiday, let's say, for example, then if <laughs> I kicked it on my holiday, then they would just take it out of the payout. And that would be the right. end of that. And everyone would sort of dust their hands and be like, cool, we're done. Um, but right. yeah, I mean, you're right. Like term term policies, they like I said they're they're really helpful and they're great, you know, like I said, and you have to read your contract. Like I said, is it a ten year term? Is it a twenty year term? Like what is what have you signed up for and be really clear and ask a lot of questions. Like don't feel when you're in these meetings, don't ever feel right. like you asking too many questions. Um, Any financial advisor, if they're a good one, they will sit there and answer every question that you have. Even if you ask the same question five different times and need five different explanations because you're not grasping what they're trying to say. Ask it again. Don't feel stupid because that is how we learn. That is how we figure this stuff out. And that is, again, so important for the long term. Within our financial lives. So you're not going to just magically understand it tomorrow. You have to ask the questions you have to have the conversations and you know when we're Talking about this stuff. It is really sometimes helpful to, you know, ask the question three or four times to have them explain it in a different way because maybe your brain just works different than theirs and most likely does
0: of course, and that's the whole point of their job, right? Is to make it make these complicated concepts or complicated terms into you know something that's doable. something you can digest on. So um, there's nothing to be ashamed of. I didn't learn this until I was eight. I didn't. Have tree. I was very grateful for right. So it, that's the whole point is have these conversations. What else can you do? Like how do these people that are so successful deal with their own money? Right. Um. And I know I hear this all the time that debt is bad, but there is good debt. Right. There is good debt. There is bad debt. There. Um. A lot of people avoid you. Have a lot of money. Avoid using their own money to for even for their own. Investments, right? So it, I know these are very general ideas, but from these general ideas, you should have an understanding of, so that if an idea sparks, or, or for some reason you have some extra cash lying around at some point, do something with it, right? Protect
1: yourself with it. Pretty. Much. I would even go so far as to say debt is not good or bad. Debt is just debt. Right. It's neutral. It's morally right. neutral. Like it's not good or bad. It's just a thing. It's like again, it's like a coffee cup. But they teach it's you that there. it's bad. They teach you, they that, teach it's bad. you it, that it's bad. Yes, it's it's one of those things that, on its own, it's just a thing. It's it's a way to make something else happen, and it can get you into trouble. In the same way, like hitting yourself over the head with a coffee cup is probably going to hurt. So you know, like there's good ways to use it and bad ways to use it, but on its own it's neutral and i think that's another thing that really would help a lot of people financially speaking and that comes a little bit more to the mindset side of things than the actual strategy but seeing it for what it is it is just a tool it is a catalyst for making something else happen you know let's say you know your credit card and you use it to you know fund your business it's not bad debt it's just the thing that you used to fund your business while you were getting it off the ground. If you didn't pay it and ignored it and never quite got around to paying it off and you know it went to collections then there's going to be some negative repercussions. Absolutely. You know mm-hmm. your credit score is going to suffer. You're going to have collection agencies calling you like there will be negative consequences. But it's not the debt necessarily, it's it's what you did after you utilized the debt. of, of not you know, taking the proper steps to make sure that these consequences didn't happen. But I think seeing debt for uh, as a bad thing, it's evil, it's negative, it's terrible. I think that also does us a disservice because it does, you know, again, we're going back to the uber wealthy, they borrow all the time, Mm -hmm. they borrow tons of money, and they borrow it to invest it, and they borrow it to grow it. And, you know, they're... There's lots of people who use what's called leverage loans where they take out money and they just invest that money and they pay the interest only on those leverage loans and then pocket what they earn from the investments because generally, you know, if you do it properly, it will be more than you're paying in interest and you end up better off at the end. Is it risky? Absolutely. It's hugely risky, but it can also be very powerful. So the debt itself is neutral. It's just what you it's like money. Money is neutral. It's what you do with it that's either positive, negative. Right. I or just
0: think it goes along with our with our theme, you know, to like that shame of owing somebody something. Yeah. Right? And about how you shouldn't be in that position to owe somebody something. But again, if we had the knowledge and the know-how of how to utilize debt, how to utilize money, how to utilize all these financial instruments that you've mentioned, then maybe we wouldn't be ashamed because we'd have a much better understanding of how the world actually works, right? But I'm putting my conspiracy theorist hat on for just a second to be like, I feel like people just don't want us to know how money works because it's easier. Like, look at the banks. I'm telling you, 18-year-old me thought it was a great idea. So did the bank to give me $2,500 credit card. And was it a great idea? It was a terrible idea for me, right? But it was mm-hmm. great for the bank. So oh, absolutely.
1: And, 18-year-old and me was in forced the same me. Issues.
0: Yeah, but nobody forced me. So that's their that's their argument. But also nobody taught me either. Right? All I knew, like my parents had bills and they were paid on time all the time. So they gave me a great example, but there's no there's no literacy there. There was no like, this is how you do it. So in an 18-year-old mind, it's like, well, I'm gonna get money because I'm working, so then I'm gonna pay it off, obviously. But practically that's not how that works, right? There's just so many things that kind of go around. You know, um, Jen, we we were having such a great time talking that I didn't even do a halfway intro. intro. (laughs) I just realized and then everything went down but yeah if you tuned in halfway you are listening to the united public radio network and ufo paranormal radio network at 105.3 and 107.7 fm in new orleans and we are streaming everywhere as well and it's negotiating happiness we're gonna have to wrap up anyway but um thank you so much for having this lively conversation with me about money i feel like we could talk about it forever uh, maybe next time we um we can explore some practical things you know and uh and to kind of encourage people to go do their own homework and go ask their own questions we'll talk about maybe some of those technical terms like i, kn- I kind of knew what an eft was but i'm so glad you had <laughs> spelt it out because i'm like wait i can't be the only one that doesn't know <laughs> right <laughs> but thank you yeah. so much for coming on
1: oh i'm so happy to be here and i'm happy to talk about this stuff for hours i mean I- I, I looked at the clock and was like, oh, my gosh, it's already 11. Oh, on. I, I, could, I could just keep going for hours. So yes. I, I had so much fun, and I love talking about this stuff. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. So Jen here
0: is in British Columbia. So she's on the other coast. So for us, it's 2 o'clock now. So uh, right. thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Thank you, Jen, for coming on. Um, I'm just going to wrap up. Uh, so... Um, Big thank you to the United Public Radio Network and UFO Paranormal Radio Network. And next week we will also have a guest. So stay tuned. Uh, We will post it shortly. Thank you and take care, everybody.